Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and partners of the Running Club Podcast. And welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes in the tradition of throwing curveballs. When you expect a fastball, Steph Curry broke the uh, three-point shooting record, or the career three-pointers made record, last night at Madison Square Garden. Surprising it didn't happen sooner, honestly. But Dylan, I'm here to ask you today, what is your all-time favorite sports record that's not Barry Bonds' 762 home runs? Oh, man. Well, this, this is a retroactive choice. Now I'm a Tom Brady. But when um, – actually, you know what? I could switch it and make it fit my narrative. Peyton Manning's single-season touchdown record of 55 touchdowns, I believe, is still upheld to this day. Um, I was going to say all-time touchdowns, which Brady has cleared and will continue to – like Brady's touchdown lead is probably going to be equivalent to Steph's three-point lead when it's all said and done. It's 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 funny because I, I looked at Peyton's and Peyton. I mean, he had an injured season, and I'm not going to say he retired young, but when you look at Drew Brees and Tom Brady, like relatively, he was. I don't believe he was 40 when he retired, and Drew Brees played a lot of freaking games. And he is still way behind Tom Brady in touchdowns. So I think that record is probably going to stand like forever or at least for like a long time. Um, But any record that Peyton can hold on to. And right now that is touchdowns in a season. I am really uh, holding on to that. Well, yes, he'll probably hold the record for a 16 game season for the rest of time, seeing as it's a 17 game season now. So that's all set. Um, Yeah. I think my favorite record is Barry Bonds. I brought up his home run, like he's the home run king earlier. In the 2004 season, he had 232 walks and 120 of those were intentional. I think that's probably my favorite sports record because I think he drew more walks than like a few teams in the National League that year, including assuredly your Cincinnati Reds, Dylan Hughes. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was an unnecessary shot, but... Teams were just so terrified of Barry Bonds that he just got on base. His on base percentage that year was over 600, I think, which is unprecedented. And he still hit like 45 home runs because every time he swung at a pitch, it went out of the park. So was he on a lot of steroids then? Undoubtedly. Do I care? Absolutely not. Bring back steroids in baseball. Let's go, baby. Um <laughs> So this is the basketball at power hour though. We talked about baseball and, uh, and football to start it off, but I do want to hit on some injury news, but I brought up Steph Curry breaking the all time three pointers made record. And Dylan, this happened like a lot faster than Ray Allen broke it. Ray Allen broke it in, I want to say his 16th season. And this is Steph's 13th season. (laughs) I want to say, and it's a lot fewer games too for Steph. Like he missed a whole year. With that wrist injury, he's missed, all, you know, in his earlier seasons, he missed a lot of time with the ankle injuries. And will anyone ever catch Steph when he's done? By the time he's done, he might have 4,500 threes. Like, will anyone ever catch Steph Curry in terms of three-pointers made for his career? 
I'm I want to say no, but the volume shooting that we're seeing nowadays makes me think someone will get it eventually. But even with all the shooting, let's not act like Steph is not a massive outlier of talent. I mean, the past like really seven years he's just been undoubtedly the best shooter in the league and people were calling him the best shooter of all time like after their first title like everyone knew that this is this was the destiny or the fate that he had and i mean this run has just been insane and i i really have a tough time seeing at least of players in the league right now who could get there because not only is his entire game built around shooting threes, but the the team is really built to get him open threes. And that's why Clay Thompson also is probably I mean, I don't know where Clay Thompson stands on the the record list right now, but I would imagine he's gonna at worst finish top five. And I mean, missing he did miss a lot of time, so maybe not, but this team is built to exploit those two guys shooting and Steph has had so many MVP level seasons because of his shooting. Like it's hard to imagine anyone coming close to it, at least within the next decade or so. Yes. Clay's at 1798, which I'm going to pull up the uh, career three pointers made list real quick. It's bound to be. Yeah. Clay right now is in the top 20. He's 21st. So as soon as he gets back, he'll in like his first month, he'll probably pass Kobe to get to 20th because Paul George is like at 20th right now, but he's two behind Kobe. So whenever he plays, he'll pass Kobe undoubtedly. But yeah, Clay and Steph, two of like the 10 best shooters of all time on the same team, just ridiculously unfair. Mark Jackson said they were the best shooting backcourt like back in 2013. And I think we laughed at him. And it just goes to show <laughs> even coaches who are wrong a lot of the time about a r- lot of things are right sometimes. And Mark Jackson had that one pegged. He fixed their defense. They don't win that championship without Mark Jackson coaching them. I'm convinced. But yeah, staff is at 29.77 right now. The next closest active player is James Harden at 25.09. And he is slowing down <laughs> and he is younger than Steph. So I'll be curious, like, and Steph seems to be hitting his prime. It's crazy to say. So there's a chance he ends up with like 4,500 threes with the pace that he's on. It's absolutely ridiculous. He made 400 threes last year. or He made close to 400 threes last year in a shortened season playing 63 games. <laughs> he's just an absolutely ridiculous player. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts on Steph Curry before we move on to Saturn news? I mean, yeah, I was talking to my dad about this the other day because I was watching the end of the Pacers game when he got close to breaking it. It's like, this is a dude that's going to be a good shooter for six more years. Like, the 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 lead he's going to have, assuming Ray Allen still is number two, the, the lead he's going to have over Ray Allen is going to just be insane. Yeah, and I mean, like, Someone brought it up on a podcast earlier. It might have been Kevin O'Connor. Imagine when he gets to like the JJ Reddick portion of his career where he's just all he's doing is moving off screens. He doesn't have to worry about actually creating shots 
for others or creating with his movement for others. He just has to worry about getting shots up. <laughs> He's just going to stack three on top of threes on top of threes. It's going to be your, he might shoot 50% from three one year. Could you imagine him in like a Joe Harris role? Obviously it wouldn't be on as good of a team, but the nice thing about shooters is that they age well. And Steph is already old in like NBA terms. He's 33. <laughs> He's not young at all, but it feels like he's peaking. It's like in all aspects, he's just an incredible player. But time for the more dour news, Dylan Hughes. Um, half of the league, it feels like, is in health and safety protocols. Um, Giannis is in health and safety protocols. John Morant, although John's going to miss. He's missing a lot of time with a knee injury anyway. Bless you. Um, <laughs> he's missing a lot of time with a knee injury anyway, so that really didn't impact him. Um, Kyle Kuzma, another guy from one of our teams this week, is in health and safety protocols. Lamelo, like half the Hornets roster was on health and safety protocols, and they're just now getting out of it. RJ Barrett, um, like more Nets. Like <laughs> the Nets had to rely on like three second round picks last night, including you know the unfortunately named David Duke who had 13 rebounds <laughs> in a win against the Raptors. Um, like Bembry's out. They Millsap, Aldridge, they're missing like all their vets. Basically, it was Patty Mills and KD against the Raptors last night. And KD's so good, the Nets still won. And then the one that's like the biggest one sweeping around the league is that the Bulls are missing like 10 guys <laughs> from their team. They're getting so like this, it's spreading so much. Their replacements players are getting sick, and they had to postpone the game last night against the Pistons and then the game tomorrow against the Raptors. So those will surely be made up at a different time. But Dylan, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple more of these before, you know, January, like January 15th, like a month from today. Like, I feel like we're going to see a couple teams just get it ravaged by it and not be able to, they'll have to postpone games because they won't have enough players. Yeah. I mean, the, the bulls have been dealing with this for weeks too. Like, this is not like this is just now happening. I mean, uh, was it last week or the week before that we covered them? I think they were dealing with it then. Vucevic had it like in the early part of the year. And he's the, like the one of the only healthy guys they have on their team right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And it's weird because maybe my memory's bad, but like, was it really a problem last year? Like, I know during the bubble, there were some teams that struggled with it, but I don't remember last season being too bad. The Grizzlies had to miss like a week because of it. The Wizards did. The Mavericks missed like, were miss. Remember, the Mavericks got out there that really slow start and they were missing like all their four of their top guys in their rotation, but it wasn't ever this bad. Like, I'm just going to go through the names that are on the uh, COVID list right now for the Bulls. And these guys are all out with COVID. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, heard of those guys. Kobe White, Derek Jones Jr., Javante Green, Matt Thomas, Troy Brown, Io DeSumo, <laughs> Alizé Johnson, and the guy they called up from the G League to replace those guys, Stanley Johnson. And all these developments happened Sunday. They played the Heat on Saturday, so there's a good chance the Heat have a lot of guys with COVID-19 right now. They they lightened up the testing restrictions because, you know, 99% of the league is vaccinated. I think at a certain point, this is going to probably sound very controversial, but they're probably just going to have to start letting these guys play with COVID and just be like, yeah, these guys have COVID. <laughs> you know, if 99% of the league is vaccinated, like they say, you know, 
like, yeah, you're inconveniencing like the 1% of players that are unvaccinated, but you know, that is what that is. Like 99% of your league is vaccinated. Like what? 1% of 450 is like 45 guys. Like that's nothing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not going out of my way to inconvenience games like to inconvenience people who are unvaccinated, like especially when most of the league is now, you know, some people might've gotten the Johnson and Johnson shot and called it a day. And you know, that's one shot and it hasn't been proven to be as effective, but I, I, I don't know, Dylan, it just feels like at a certain point, they're going to have to make a choice to either postpone a lot of games or postpone none of them. You know, I'm not in a good mental state right now. I'm doing your, I'm doing the math here and I'm pretty sure 45 is 10%. Listen, so- that so one percent is is that basically means that five guys in the league are unvaccinated which can't be right (laughs) there has to be more unvaccinated guys than five in the league i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i have a hard time believing that too but i mean a lot i mean i know a lot of you know it's probably still a small amount and if (laughs) it's it's a weird thing i was thinking about this earlier because the browns are having a a mess of a situation too, where basically every good player on their team and their coach tested positive for COVID. And I think all of the players and coaches were vaccinated and even some of them had a booster shot. So I was thinking about that earlier because I know the NFL is like, you need to test negative twice in 48 hours and you can play. Um, But it's just such a, it's a weird thing. And it feels like we're, we've been dealing with COVID for so long, but in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to viruses, like we're pretty early on, you know, and there's still a lot we don't know. It feels a tad irresponsible to just let players with COVID play, even if they have the vaccine. But at the same time, if pretty much everyone's vaccinated, and this goes for every sport, by the way, not just basketball. But if if most of the players are vaccinated, I believe being vaccinated limits your ability to transmit it. And it also obviously limits your ability to maybe not limits your ability to catch it, but to like it lowers your ability or uh, it ups your ability to fight it. So it's I mean, basically all these these guys are all swimming in a pool of covid all the time anyway. And at that level, they have so many treatments available aside from the vaccine that they can, they can throw a lot of, of stuff at COVID to try to, you know, improve your chances of fighting it off pretty quick. So it's like, they're like, we haven't really had much. I mean, there were some issues last year, but I, I don't think the vaccine was out yet when a lot of these like Jason Tatum, like those guys were getting really bad COVID reactions. Like, I don't think we've really seen that since unless they're just keeping it under wraps. So if you're basically having no effect, a negative effect from vaccinated players of having COVID, then it, it's, it's just weird. It's like, it, it's just a weird thing because you get any other illness and you're not you're asymptomatic and you don't feel bad. It's like, dude, fucking go to work. You know, no one has a problem with it. And COVID 
And again, I get it. It's, it's a fresh thing and it's killed a lot of people, but if you're asymptomatic and you feel fine and most of the people are vaccinated, it feels weird to make everyone sit out for an extended period of time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, listen, obviously these all need to be evaluated on a case by case basis. And if you're sick, generally speaking, you probably shouldn't be playing NBA basketball, right? Like there's the famous flu game, (laughs) which we know wasn't actually a flu and it's disputed whether or not he was incredibly hungover or was poisoned intentionally. Some jazz fans, evil jazz fans try to take him out of the series. Um, I'll let you decide which one is more plausible between the two. I listen, I think that it's tough because yeah, like you brought up, a lot of people have died from this, right? But for the most part, these guys are in incredible tip top shape and you've taken a vaccine, which numbs the like really severe effects of this disease. And now it's basically like, it's not like with the vaccine, you aren't seeing a whole lot of breakthrough cases, right? Like those are like one in like a hundred thousand. I'm, I'm making that number up, but it's something crazy like that where people are actually dying after they get vaccinated. So if the whole point of the vaccine is to, you know, help numb the spread a little bit, it doesn't obviously do it a lot because COVID we've seen is very highly infectious and it's to dilute the symptoms at a certain point. If 99% of your players are, you know, vaccinated, which again, <laughs> Thinking about it seems a little preposterous. There's no way there's like five unvaccinated guys in the league when I know Drew Holiday's unvaccinated. I know, or not Drew. Justin Holiday is unvaccinated. He said that to um, the Indy Star beat writer um, here. Michael Porter Jr. is unvaccinated. Bradley Beal. That's Ky- Kyrie's still in that count. He's <laughs> on an NBA contract right now. John so, Isaac. John Isaac, yeah. So that's five guys right there. That's over 1% of NBA players. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but you're going to have to do a better job of convincing me that there's, you know, I think there's 510 players in the NBA, you know, with the two, the advent of the two-way rule. So that's 1% right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's way more than six unvaccinated guys in the league. That's just due to the numbers of the thing. It just seems to be the case. It's just as frustrating. You know, I don't want to downplay it because it is a deadly virus, <laughs> but it's you would think that we would have it under better control by now. We don't. There's a lot of factors that we should not get into on here. Why it's not under better control. Um, and if, so we don't get either of ourselves in trouble in any direction. Um <laughs> It's just frustrating. I hope Giannis, you know, comes back as healthy. I hope Arden comes back and is healthy. I hope, you know, LaMelo, when he comes back in a couple of days, is healthy. You know, Rozier, all the, like, DeMar, Zach. It sucks because the whole team, like, the whole Bulls team is under health and safety protocols. Like, hell, Stacey King and Bill Wennington, the Bulls TV and radio announcers, both got it. So... I hope everyone's okay, and we should rapid fire through the rest of these injuries. Um, Jeremy Grant suffered a thumb injury. He's expected to miss a good amount of time. He's expected to miss till at least February, which is very convenient for the Pistons sake, as there is a report that came out today from Bleacher Report that the trading Jeremy Grant is priority number one in Detroit right now. Surely that's not a coincidence. Um, Dylan, do you, 
Do you think Cade Cunningham will benefit from no Jeremy Grant at the like trying to get all the shots in Detroit? I guess a little bit. I think it helps him to have kind of Grant as the safety relief valve a little bit when he needs someone else to create a shot like at the end of the shot clock. Because when you take Jeremy Grant, it's like, hey, let's put Frank Jackson out there for 38 minutes a game. Because as we talked about with the Pistons, that's basically their two shot creators outside of Grant. So, I mean, they're not trying to win games, so really no, none of this matters at all. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles the, the extra pressure. The extra pressure, and if they keep Jeremy Grant, that's great. It'll give him the Cade the release valve. If not, um, Jeremy Grant will probably help. A lot of teams want a guy like Jeremy Grant right now. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Jeremy Grant is a guy in highest demand in the NBA. Um, our guy, TJ McConnell, suffered a wrist injury, and I believe Sham said he's expected to miss the rest of the year. I saw another report on CBSSports.com that he's not expected to miss that long, but wrist injuries, Dylan, aren't anything to play around with, so the odds are is they'll sit him through the rest of the year. And let's face it, that sucks because I don't know who the Pacers' backup point guard is without TJ McConnell. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of them lately, to be honest. I think it's Kalen Martin. Uh, who actually is pretty good. Like they, I think he was a two-way guy last year and like, he's a, he's actually better than I expected. Like he, he was better than Aaron holiday. That's why they traded Aaron holiday and they traded Edmund Sumner too. So I think they felt fine with having him as the third guy, having him as the second guy. I don't know about, but this team is likely to be blown up at least on a small scale within the next couple months. Um, so uh, as, as I said with the Pistons, it's, it is what it is. Like, I don't think it really matters too much for their long-term outlook. I mean, it sucks that TJ's out. Cause again, one of our favorites, uh, just a guy that never gives up. He's not a guy, he's not a guy you have on a team that wants to tank like Sam Presti when he's scouring the league for tank projects, TJ McConnell is probably the last guy he's looking at. So, you know, it sucks for him, but hopefully he comes back healthy next season. You had the 20, if you had the under for the uh, over under 25 minute mark where Dylan takes unprovoked shot at Sam Presti, congratulations. Collect your prize at the desk. Um, TJ McConnell should have like gotten serious consideration for all defense team last year. And I think from guys like Chris Herring, you know, someone who's like a, like people like smart NBA writers, I'll say he got actual all defensive team consideration and yeah, it sucks that he's going to be gone. He brings like, I was not a TJ McConnell guy at all when he was in Philadelphia, but once he got to Indiana and I saw him in person, that dude just plays with an infectious energy and it sucks that he's going to miss it's not, I don't think it's confirmed he'll miss the rest of the season yet, but it feels like he will. I think he's expected to. And if they're like 30 and 40 <laughs> when he's healthy to come back, I don't think he's going to play the rest of the year. Just my hunch, because there's no use for him when you're trying to play for those ping pong balls. So I will say this next one, um, we can talk about these next two together since it's the same team. Kyra Lewis out for the year with a torn ACL. Um, not great for him. I haven't watched a whole lot of New Orleans, so I can't give you like any <laughs> updates on Kyra Lewis's pro- progress this year, but I hope he's okay. This one, though, 
this is probably the biggest whopper out of these news bites is that Zion is at a setback and he's out indefinitely. We go from Zion is expected to play opening day to Zion's going to miss a couple of weeks to Zion's, you know, ramping up his activity. He'll be back, you know, hopefully soon to Zion has a setback. Um, it's reported that Zion came into training camp at 330 pounds. It's reported. <laughs> the was reported by Tim McMahon on the low post. Um, it's not looking good for the Zion Williamson era down in new Orleans. And I don't know if he's going to play this season, Dylan. And frankly, I'm just going to say this. You don't mess around with foot injuries to guys, especially big guys. And I, I would just say, you know, you guys need to give him a personal chef. You guys need to do whatever, find some like alternate, like weight training program for something. Cause three thirty for a big man in the NBA, that's not going to cut it like in today's NBA. And I, what are your thoughts on this whole Zion in new Orleans situation? You know, I'm going to take a little bit more of a macro perspective on this. And I'm just looking at, I don't know, let's say 10 or 15 years in the future. We're, we're going to be happily married and, you know, probably have some, some mini me's running around the house. It's going to be, you know, just, just a great life. And, oh, look, um, let's say Mirren Fader. Oh, she just wrote about David Griffin and how he was the, the last straw before the New Orleans Pelicans moved, finally moved out of town. Th- this, is what, this is what I'm thinking about. Because I think I said this recently, how if the Pelicans lose Zion, they're done. They have, they have to move. Like, we've been talking about New Orleans not having a team for a long time. It seems like them and the Kings have been like the two where it's like if anyone moves to whatever Seattle, Montreal, like somewhere else, it's going to be one of those two teams. And David Griffin has put in an an extreme amount of damage in a very short time. I mean, he hires Stan Van Gundy who lasts a year and was probably the worst coach in the year last year. I mean, I think we talk trash more about the Pelicans than any other team just because of their defensive scheme and their spacing mostly were the two problems we had. And it, hey, it translated to losses. So, I mean, it was a disaster. And there's been just a lot of talk about David Griffin and the problems that he caused in that organization. And I don't know if that's kind of having a, an effect on this Zion situation, but he just doesn't seem like he cares. Like, I'm not going to say, I don't believe that he actually has an injury. (laughs) I'm not going to go that far, but being so out of shape really signals that he has no interest in playing basketball for this team. And I think it's going to be a situation where he gets traded to probably literally any other city in the country. And he's 240 by like a couple weeks later. It's going to be the fastest weight loss we've ever seen. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like it, there's just a lot of weird energy in the air surrounding the Pelicans. And I'm fascinated to see what they do at the, at the trade deadline, because if, if they trade Brandon Ingram, which I'm not going to say is a possibility or, or likely even, but it seems like people are kind of poking around at that idea of getting him to a new team. And if you get Ingram out of there, I think that's like the red 
flag. I'm not going to say the red flag, but like that's kind of like the green, the green light for, okay, Zion's gone now because unless you get some sort of amazing package back for Ingram, like you, you cannot have Zion with just a bunch of random players. Like, and and it's sad because we actually like their team coming into the season. And I still like a lot of the players on that roster right now, but Zion is what holds all that together. And if he doesn't want to be there and he doesn't want to get in shape and play, then he's gone. And probably not long after that, the Pelicans are too. Yeah, the Pelicans are like probably fifth <laughs> on the New or- like Louisiana, you know, slash New Orleans um, fan power rankings behind the Saints and the LSU football team twice. It like I will say to bring it back to Griffin. An aspect that hasn't been talked about much, like the Lonzo trade was disastrous this offseason. And I think we kind of felt it at the time, although I don't I think we didn't downplay to the I think we downplayed how disastrous it was at the time. Right. Like we could kind of justify it like to ourselves. Right. This trade is going to go down in history as one of the worst. The Pelicans tried to do like one of those football style trades, right? They had the fourth pick from the Anthony Davis trade. They traded the fourth pick for the eighth pick, the 17th pick and the 35th pick. And I'm sure like other picks in that trade too. I don't remember which ones, but those are the primary ones with the fourth pick. They could have selected Deandre Hunter or Darius Garland, right? Deandre Hunter hasn't had much. (laughs) He hasn't been staying on the court that well either. So that might not be the best case scenario for this pick, right? Darius Garland (laughs) is probably right now, if you were doing a redraft of this class, he's going third. And I don't think it's, you might have a case for him to go second right now over Zion, just given the health concerns with Zion. And then with the eighth pick, if you do the trade over again, you could have selected Rui Hachimura, right? Would have been a better fit on this team. Could have selected Cam Reddish. Would have been a better fit on this team. And was Zion's teammate at Duke. Could have selected... Yeah, I don't think Cam Johnson would have worked in New Orleans with the youth movement they were trying to do. Could have selected PJ Washington, Tyler Hero. You could have drafted... Uh, there's not really great lottery-style talent. You could have drafted Keldon Johnson, <laughs> right? With that 17th pick. There's just so many different ways they could have gone, and they didn't go in any of them. And it's... It's going to be a disaster because imagine if they just took Garland. Imagine if they just were like, no, we're just going to take this point guard. Now you have a big four of Lonzo, Garland, <laughs> Ingram, and Zion. And that's like an unstoppable four on offense. It's <laughs> that tra- football style trades don't work in the NBA. They never have, they never will. And at one's going to probably go down as one of the worst in NBA history. <laughs> Any other Pelicans thoughts before we move on to the uh, teams for before we move on to the wheel, we got to do the wheel. Well, let's, let's spin it, man. And hopefully the Pelicans don't come up, <laughs> but so, I feel like put that out. There. I'm going to check the injury report real quick. I don't know if uh, Paul George's elbow to play tonight. I think let's go ahead and put them back on the wheel for next week because might as well just, or we'll put them off till next week. So we'll do two spins of the bad wheel and one spin of the good wheel. How's that sound, Dylan? Sounds great. We're a little uneven on the numbers. So the bad wheel is the Pacers, Wolves, Magic, and Pelicans. That would be funny if we got the Pelicans. We got the Wolves for our first one. The Wolves are probably too good for this wheel at this point. But Dylan, I know you're probably excited to watch the Wolves at this point. Yes. 
And then Pacers, Magic, or Pelicans. I really hope we get the Pelicans because that would be kind of funny. We got the Orlando Magic. <laughs> Dylan, are you ex- are you excited to watch either of these two teams? Um, so I have I think these are the these may be the only two teams in the league that I have even I haven't even watched yet at all. Um, I don't recall. Maybe earlier in the season I did, but I don't think I have at all. I mean, you know. The Magic, um, their young players have actually kind of outperformed, I guess, what I expected, which was the expectations were very low. Let me put that out there. But at least, you know, I check the box scores every once in a while, and it seems like they're doing okay. So I guess maybe give Mo Bamba a little bit of shine, you know, just just see what's up. But the Wolves definitely want to see what's going on there. This is going to be your least favorite week in a while, Dylan, because our other team on the good wheel was the Knicks. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you know what's funny is I think I've actually watched the Knicks more than any team in the league. And this is why, Alex, and you you probably already know why. But every time I see a team on our schedule and I see that they play the Knicks, it's pretty much always almost a win for the team that we watch. And... I mean, I honestly cannot think of a single game this season when I watched the Knicks and they won. So, you know, I think sadly that streak is going to be broken now, but watching the Knicks lose is just so fun. And I had to tweet about this a few days ago about how this is a dream Julius Randle season for me. I mean, this is, this is last season. I obviously had to eat crow on it. I was very happy to eat crow because he performed very well. I, I put him on my All-NBA team. I mean, he deserved it. And, of course, in the playoffs, everything came back to normal, and he sucked and was a huge part of the reason they lost. And now this season, that's carrying over. I mean, he has been horrible, at least as far as, like, scoring-wise. I mean, he's still a good passer, and, like, he has other, you know, good traits and stuff. But his scoring has been abysmal. And being able to to watch that this season has just been a true true pleasure. Save all your Knicks hate for next week, buddy. Um, that's all oh, I gotta there's say. Plenty more from there, don't you worry. I know there's plenty more where that came from, and I'm not I'm not anticipating listening to you next week just rail on the Knicks. But let's let's go forward. I think the Wizards are a good place to start with. Would you agree there, Dylan? Yeah. I don't think we have a lot to talk about with the Wizards. They've been on a little bit of a tailspin lately. At one point, they were those, I think, either the first or second seed in the East, and they are not that anymore. They are 15 and 13, good for seventh in the East. Um, right now, I'm just going to start implementing the offensive and defensive and net ratings for the uh, team. They have a minus 1.7 net rating right now, good for 24th. They have a 107.5 offensive rating, good for 25th. And 109.2 defensive rating. Good for 14th. So, hey, at least something's positive in Washington. Um, Last week, they barely beat the worst team in the league, Detroit, in overtime, 119 to 116. They lost versus Utah, 98 to 123. And then they lost to Denver, 107 to 113 in a game that was not that close. Like, they, the Nuggets were up 30 at one point. And fake comebacks, you got to love them in the NBA. They're honestly the worst, and I hate them. Because they sucker me into watching games that I wouldn't otherwise watch. Um, and then in the last two weeks, they're two and five, and they have a minus seven point eight net rating. Dylan, it kind of feels like the um, we got the Wizards right, right when they were um, 
plateauing is not the right word. And I wouldn't say they're collapsing either, but they're really struggling right now. And I think a lot of that starts with Brad Beal. Like he's just hasn't been very good to start the year. Like not to start the year. We're thir- we're 25 games in for Brad Beal. He's at 22 points a game down from like 31 last year, I want to say. And it just feels like he's shooting 27% from three right now. And it feels like he can't buy a bucket. And I don't know, maybe playing with Russ is good for guys. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like an interesting mix because we, we've we talked about this with, with Russ for however long we've done this podcast, that he absolutely benefits some players. Like to say that he's like to say that he's not good for big men is just lying. I mean, he was unbelievable for Thomas Bryant last season. I haven't watched the Lakers very much. Um, and I know a lot of people have complained about Anthony Davis, which I mean, this is just my year, Alex. Like, the Pacers have sucked, but for the Knicks to be tumbling like this and for Anthony Davis to to be kind of – to basically be what we thought he was, I mean, it. it I, from my argument perspective, I'm sad that they won the title a couple years ago because it's hard to say much about someone that won a title, but every other year has basically fit into the narrative. But, I mean – he definitely benefits a lot of, of players and Brad Beal probably was one. And if you really think about it, I don't, it, this isn't the first season he hasn't played without, without uh, Russ or wall. Cause wall missed some time too, but he's pretty much always had kind of like a dominant point guard next to him. And that has definitely helped him. I think, you know, get just get better looks and not have to force as much. And now it's kind of an interesting spot where he has a better team around him, but he doesn't have like um, an alpha, I guess, to kind of share the ball handling and, and the shot making load. And I mean, it's, it's funny because I think not having Kuzma the past few games has really made it even tougher on it. Just watching them this week. I'm like, man, Kuzma really has a huge impact on their offense because he's, I mean, obviously Dinwiddie is is pretty good and KCP has been pretty good this season as well. But Kuzma is just very good at getting his shot. And he, I think he's been a player in the past, really since they were in the finals with the Lakers. Like he's probably been the player that's grown the most on me the past couple of years. I mean, he he is just a really solid offensive player, and he's getting pretty good on defense too. Like, I'm excited to see where he is in like two or three years because I mean, his game has really come a long way. And not having him out there has really hurt. And you got to think about it. Like, Rui Hachimura hasn't been out there either. And Rui Hachimura is, I mean, he's one of my favorite young guys in the league. Like, I think he's a really good offensive player. And having those guys that you can just give the ball to and get a bucket is, I think it, it really helps Beal out. And right now there's, there's just not a ton of support for him. And, and, you know, Kuzma has been there for the most part of the season and Beal has still struggled. So it's not completely that, but yeah, there's just something weird going on. And I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to pinpoint such a massive drop off in points like that. It really is. And I think part of it just has to do with like, there is no true second scorer on this team, which you thought Dinwiddie was going to be. He just hasn't been that so far, right? 
And this is the part of the season where like, okay, you know, something happens for five games, you know, that's cool, but it's probably not going to keep up. Right. Like something happens for 10 games, you know, Harrison Barnes is going to make all NBA this year. Obviously that wasn't going to happen. Right. But you're like, okay, this is cool. I'm going to keep my eye on this, see if he keeps it up. And if not, that's great. You know, at least he can say he played great for the first 10 games. (laughs) When we're getting to this part of the season, this is a trend, not like a curiosity. (laughs) You know what I mean? This isn't like, Hey, you know, I'm going to be monitoring Spencer Dinwiddie, right? He hasn't been good this year, just point blank. And he is coming off of an ACL tear. He came back pretty quick, right? Like he came back to start the year when most guys, he probably should have sat till like not February. He probably should have sat till, you know, November, right? Like probably sat another month or two. It might've been beneficial, but the wizards aren't in a place where they can afford to not have Spencer Dinwiddie because they're, Backup option is their backup options are Aaron Holiday and Hal Neto, who are fine players. <laughs> They're not the players I'd want starting at point guard next to Bradley Beal. So I'm I'll be curious to see if Spencer can turn it around, right? Because if he can't, then they might be screwed. <laughs> because they're a fine defensive team, right? Like they're 14th. And their defense is probably going to peak, like, at best, they're able to get to, like, the 10th best defense in the league, right? This offense right now, 25th seems generous. <laughs> it feels like they can't create good looks. Kuzma's probably the best passer in the starting lineup, which is a major yikes. Um, you see them, like, something I noticed, I didn't watch, I only watched two games of theirs, and the second game I watched was from uh, last week when they played the Pacers. <laughs> They've been starting second halves with Montrez because he's like the only thing guy who can seem to get stuff going. And even he slowed down after like a torrid start. So I I don't know. It's going to be tough. They just need to find a way to generate offense. Right. And maybe Thomas Bryant coming back will help with that. Right. Like Thomas Bryant's like a legitimately good shooter. But maybe, you know, his shooting stats were inflated last year and the year before by, you know, bubble stuff, you know, maybe. Rui's stats were inflated by playing with Russ, which happens a lot to guys, right? <laughs> Russ is one of the best passers of this generation. So, I didn't, like, there's just no space on this team. Um, the best three-point shooter right now is KCP, which is not surprising. That dude, he's so consistent, man. Like, <laughs> he's so consistent, but he has the funniest gaffes. Like, he'll just commit, like, a blatant double dribble sometimes, but then he'll knock down, you know, 39% of his threes and get you know, uh, steal a game, right? It's so funny. Like, did you see that one where he tried to dunk and he dunked it off the side of the uh, backboard? No. Like KCP does stuff like that all the time, but it doesn't matter because he's like one of the best. I'd say he's one of the best like role players in the league right now. So you have, you have KCP, you have Beal, you have Dinwiddie who should start to turn it around soon. You have Kuzma and you have Gafford who's amazing. This dude, that might have been the steal of the deadline last year. We talked about it at the time, and he's really fucking good. So I'll be curious to see what happens with their team. But right now, they just can't find a way to get a bucket. And that's like, they can trap Beal at will, and no one's going to make a three on this team. They're the worst three-point shooting team in the league. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough. Like, Bertans has kind of come on a little bit lately. But... It's just, again, without Kuzma and, and Brian and some of the injuries they've had, like, 
you expect Beal to hit shots and Dinwiddie. And when you don't get that, it's definitely tough. And, you know, KCP is a good kind of supplemental guy. But, I mean, they're they're relying a lot on Denny Abdia right now. And the more I watch Abdia, the more I think back to my my Dario Saric comp last year. And I just think it's continuing to reign true where it's like, if you're relying on, on Dario Saric to do much, you're screwed. Like if he's your backup center and you're trying to make a finals run, as we saw last year, like that's great. Like he's going to come in, he's going to knock down two threes. He's going to play some good post defense and you're good. But when he's your starting four and you're trying to make the playoffs, it's like, like he's not a guy that's going to make a ton of mistakes, which is great, but he just has such a limited ceiling. And I feel like that's a lot of what this roster is, is just a bunch of limited ceiling players. Like as good as Daniel Gafford is. And again, I hate to do this. And it seems like we watch the jazz every week, but like going up against Rudy Gobert, like he got killed, man. And again, Rudy Gobert is, you know, probably the third best center in the league. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like you're not going to be able to do much on him. But to get completely dominated, and that's not to say that, that Gafford had a terrible game, but, man, Gobert just sunned him, as the kids say these days. And, and that's kind of that's what this roster is. It's, it's a bunch of guys that are probably going to lose their matchup. And, like, maybe, maybe they'll get lucky and they'll outshine – the other guy. And I think that's maybe what the early season was where it's a bunch of guys that just started off hot and they got on a run. And now, you know, Brad Beal's out there looking around is like, well, these guys are fine, but like, they're probably good enough to get us in the play in, but anything better than that is probably a reach. It's why I was so bullish about the team hitting the over, but why I wasn't bullish about them missing the play in. Because they have a bunch of good, not great guys, right? And if I was a superstar in the NBA, I'd be pointing at this team. And Brad Beal, I think we agree, isn't at the level of like, you know, a guy who can carry his team to the finals. So take this with a grain of salt. But if I'm a guy, like I'm a young star, right? Like, let's just say, (laughs) to bring it back, let's just say I'm Zion. I point to this Wizards roster and be like, no, that's why I need another star. Because I can't do it all myself. And... Brad's not a guy who can do it all himself. And you're right. He's had pretty elite help. The what like the one year where Wall was hurt and Westbrook didn't play. Beal was great that year. Beal was great the year they got Westbrook. And then Beal hasn't been great this year because he can get double teamed. They can take the ball out of his hands and his three isn't falling, which isn't helping either. If his three was helping, I'd bet he'd be looking a lot better right now. That's my theory too. But we've seen the last couple of years, his shooting, his three point percentage right now isn't far off from what it usually is. Like right now he's shooting 27% from three and I'm going to pull up his basketball reference page. If my screen will work, there we go. So the last two years, 34 and 35. So he's not that far off from where he was (laughs) post John wall, basically. And he's played a lot of minutes the last three years. He's played 36 minutes a game the last two years. And then 37 in 2018, 19, 36 in 2017, 18, you know, we're, we're not used to normal NBA aging curves. (laughs) 
<laughs> because of LeBron. But Brad's been an Iron Man for the most part since, you know, for his whole career, he hasn't missed a whole lot of games. So I wouldn't be surprised if he needed like maybe not like if he was declining, but probably just needs a break. <laughs> and I think that I don't, it's just weird. And I hope he can bounce back because Brad's one of my favorite players to watch in the whole league. Yeah, I mean, he's been one of my favorite for a long time as well. And that's why I've always wanted him to get traded because I want to see him win somewhere. I want to see him go to Denver and win or, or whatever. I don't want him to go to LA or the Knicks, but I wanted him to go to Philly, like go somewhere where you can play alongside a really good player that just needs a little bit of help. And so far Washington's kind of strategy was to try to bring those guys there and it's worked. I mean, they had John Wall for a good amount of time. They got Russ, and they didn't really do much this year. And I think that was a good idea to do what they did. I mean, I think the Russ trade was unbelievably good for them. I think some of the other moves they've made have been good. They've drafted fairly well. Like they, they, they're they're turning things around. I mean, we've. It's kind of funny because we've talked a lot of shit about. Washington for a long time, but they've made the playoffs, you know, like this is not like it's the Kings or the magic and the magic have made the playoffs too, but it's been kind of like once in a life, not once in a lifetime. It's like once in every four or five years, the magic will get the eighth seed. It's like Washington has had some good runs and it's, and we're getting farther and further removed, obviously, but it's, you know, it's a team that I, I want to personally see succeed because I like Beal and I like pretty much everyone on that roster. I mean, even Neto has grown on me a lot in the past year or two. So, like, there's a, there's a lot of guys on that roster I want to root for. I was happy to see them start off this year so strong. But right now, it's just kind of maybe come back to earth for what it, what it should have been. And, yeah, a lot of that probably has to do with Beal and maybe he needs a little bit of time off. But, uh I have a hard time seeing that happen unless he gets a real injury. Yeah. And these foul rules haven't been kind to our boy, Brad, either. Um, his free throws. He was at 7.7 free throw attempts last year. He's at 4.4 this year. I mean, they haven't been kind to a lot of people, right? They just they've done it. Like the pace of the game has slowly gone back to where it was last year, but the ticky tack fouls of getting fouled off the screens, getting fouled, you know, kicking your leg out in the air. Those have gone down and those have killed a lot of his free throw attempts. And I think that's part of it too. And I think that, um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why he's struggling. Um, the Bertans contract looks worse and worse by the day. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Caleb Lynn, you've won. Um, why didn't they keep Garrison Matthews? Like I'm dead serious. Like, he, right now, he's one of the best shooters in the league. And Caleb, this is directly to you, okay? I'm sorry. Garrison Matthews, we'll talk about him more in the Rockets section. Garrison Matthews is making the case why you shouldn't pay just three and D shooters who aren't elite. Because Garrison Matthews undoubtedly has played better than Bertans since they gave Bertans the contract, <laughs> right? This isn't like a... He played pretty well last year, too. And he's playing great in Houston this year. And I don't think that's a coincidence. He's pretty fucking good. Shout out to, um, to Trader Brad, who, <laughs> who decided he wasn't good enough for the Celtics. But that Breton's contract is looking worse by the day. 
Um, Kisper, Kisper has a lot of good feel for the game. I like what I see from him. He just isn't there yet, right? Like he needs to be more confident with his shot. He needs to be, but he's got good cutting instincts. And I mean, he's making 63% of his twos right now. Granted, only 1.3 of them a game. So not a whole lot, but he's a good cutter. He was a good slasher in college. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some growth from him in that regard. Aaron Holiday is Aaron Holiday. <laughs> like not much has changed for me watching Aaron Holiday. Um, yeah, I don't really have any other. Well, Avdia, Avdia is fine. He can't shoot, but nobody can on this roster. Um, are there any other like standouts to you from this Wizards roster? No. <laughs> They're not. This wasn't a fun team to watch. I'll say. Like that Pistons game was kind of laborious because they had a 13 point lead and they allowed the worst team in the lead to come back and make it a game. And then they got blown out. They're on a West coast road trip right now. I believe I'll check their uh, schedule real quick, but getting blown out on those two legs of the road trip (laughs) isn't surprising because those are two of the hardest. No, they played the jazz at home. (laughs) I thought that was, was it them? Um, It may, I think it was them. I, I get all these games mixed up at this point, but I guess it wasn't them. There was one team someone was talking about having to go home and away like seven straight games. I thought it was them, but they no. it looks like they are going on a pretty lengthy road trip. Some yeah, are they're home. They're or playing you. the Kings tonight. Suns, Jazz, Nets, Knicks, and then Sixers. Then they're going back to Miami. And then they're playing Cleveland. So in that next like seven game stretch, like what's the best case scenario for them, Dylan? Like two and five? Having that? Cleveland and Chicago, I guess it's not back to back, but Chicago having to play New Year's Eve against the Bulls or New Year's Day against the Bulls. I mean, that's going to be a disaster, I'm guessing. It probably will be. Um, Here's here's a fun game, Dylan. The next time we do the Wizards, I'm not going to do the week, but it'll be after the All-Star break. The next time we do the Wizards, will they be inside or outside of the play-in? And when I say outside of the play-in, I mean 11th or lower. Well, let's see. So this is really interesting because, like, I feel like aside from Washington, every team that's in the playoffs currently, I think is going to stay like the Hawks are below 500, which is just ridiculous. Like that's not going to hold Boston at 500. Maybe will hold Charlotte. Like maybe might go on a run at some point. I don't know. Like, I don't feel great about Toronto. I don't feel great about the Knicks, obviously. And the Pacers. Like I think, I think Washington's probably going to hold on to it. They may just slip to like the 10th seed and stay there. But I, I also wouldn't be surprised if Toronto just went on a second half run and, you know, Nick Nurse created some potion and just gave it to all the players. Like I could see that happening. And because they have, they have more like top high end talent than Washington. So, I mean, outside of like Beal is probably still the best player on all those on both those rosters. But I think the next four players might be on Toronto. So 
I could see that, but I think for prediction's sake, I'll go ahead and say Washington stays in. I think Toronto will overtake them, and I would not be surprised if the Knicks overtake them too. Because I think the Knicks are more talented than the Wizards are. And uh, we'll, we'll save more for next week, but I think that it'll be interesting to see. I still think they'll hit their over. Their over-under was way too low for a team that won 33 games last year. You're bringing back a better team this year. 33 wins, that's easy money. I should have bet on that. I regret not doing that. Um, Dylan, are we ready to move on to the Houston Rockets? Yes, please. Okay, so they're 9-18, and 18, good for 13th in the West. Um, that they should not be nine and 18 right now. They were one in 15 at one point <laughs> or sorry. I think they were one in 17 if I'm not mistaken. Um, they have a 106.2 offensive rating. Good for 26th, 111.8 defensive rating. Good for 23rd minus 5.6 net rating. Good for 26th. The last week they've won versus Brooklyn. They lost versus Milwaukee. They lost versus Memphis. And then they won versus Atlanta. So two and two on the week, the last two weeks, five and two, the 121.9 offensive rating, 118.1 defensive rating, 3.7 net rating. And Dylan, (laughs) so basically I was wrong. They were one in 16. They rip off a seven game winning streak. They lose their next two. And then they beat Atlanta. (laughs) It's like, and this all coincidentally, I'm coincidentally came with that Jalen green, you know, the very, very young point guard. They all of a sudden snap into place with the rookie point guard, taking all the shots. Um, what have you liked from this team? Because they've been a really fun watch and I have a lot of things I want to talk about. What have you liked from the Houston Rockets experience? I mean, I've liked a lot. Um, I do want to say I'm sad that Kevin Porter jr. Has also missed some time and, he played a little bit like he played, let's see, like the first five wins they had, but I didn't watch any of those games. Um, so it's, it's too bad, but yeah, the, the Jalen green thing is funny because we, we were texting about Garrison Matthews and I was like, man, like literally as soon as he starts getting minutes, they start winning games. And then I'm like, I wonder why he got all these minutes. And it's like, Oh, Jalen green happened to be out. That's interesting. So basically the take of the year is that Garrison Matthews is better than Jalen green. So there's that for you. But I mean, it's, it's just like a, it's just a kind of a random team that works. I mean, you know, Garrison Matthews has fallen off a little bit the past couple of games, but I mean, he's still a guy that like he was one of six against the Rockets and he was still plus two, you know, like he's a guy that's just a uh, beneficial to have out there. I mean, we talked about him a little bit last year with the Wizards. He was one of the few guys on the Wizards last year we actually cared about. And uh, he didn't have a huge role for them, but, like, he played and was good. And I had no idea he even went to the Rockets until, like, a few weeks ago. Um, so it's been good to see him. I mean, their their guard group is just really interesting. because So, obviously, you have Jalen Green and Kevin Porter, as we talked about. Now they're playing Armani Brooks, who is like fine. He has a very aesthetically pleasing shot, which makes me want to like, it makes me hope that he ends up being good. Cause I just like watching him shoot the ball. He's got like a, a high release point. It's just like an, he's just like a, it looks good. And aesthetically pleasing three point shooters are always fan favorites. 
Uh, Josh Christopher is pretty interesting as well. He's, I mean, he's been pretty like efficient so far. He doesn't, I mean, he gets a decent amount of minutes, I guess, but he doesn't get a ton of shots compared to some of these other guys, but he's definitely an interesting guy. And man, right now, they're three first round picks from this year, Christopher, Alperen, Shangun, and then Green. I mean, that's gonna that's a haul right there. Like, I think we're gonna look back in a few years, like, wow, they got all three of these guys in the same year. Cause they're all very solid. Uh, you know, Kenyon Martin Jr. has been good. Eric Gordon, maybe trying to build some trade value up here. And same with DJ Augustine. Like, this is just a fascinating team because we talked about the Cavaliers last week who it's like, I, you know, you kind of want them to make a trade because they're like the fourth seed, but it's like, well, they're kind of young and they don't, you know, don't blow your wad right now when they're still some things to figure out. And I feel kind of the same with the Rockets where it's just an odd team. Cause you have, it's like just a very strong divergence between we have guys that, you know, OKC would like to have. And then we also have guys that, we could trade to the Lakers right now and they make a finals run, you know, like having, they have Eric Gordon, DJ Augustine and Christian Wood, who very well could be starters on like a finals contender tomorrow, or at least like six men. And they're on this, you know, team that sucked last year horribly. And of course, Christian Wood didn't play a lot of that season, but they, they're just they're making a run right now and who knows if it's going to hold up i mean they've beaten some teams that aren't that impressive but like they played pretty tight against milwaukee and memphis and then they win in atlanta they beat chicago to start the win streak like this this might be a team that's just kind of pulling our leg a little bit right now and like they're not as good as they've been but i don't know they've they're interesting they're interesting. A guy I don't think you mentioned, Jay Sean Tate. Yeah. He is a very fascinating liar to me because he's really old for this team, right? Like he's 26, right? And he's in his second year. But the dude can play, right? Like he can, he has a really good driving game. Um, he has a really, like he's a really good passer. The last six, the last 10 games, he's averaging like six assists a game, I want to say which is crazy for, you know, someone who's built like him, but he's just, he can get to the rim, puts his head down. He can't really shoot, but that's fine. You know, (laughs) there's room in the league for guys who can do a lot of stuff. Hell, Draymond can do it. And he's not as good as Draymond, obviously. But if Draymond can stick on the floor, you can find a spot for a guy like Jay Sean Tate. And on offense, there's always room for that guy who can do what Jay Sean Tate can do, who, you know, stop at the uh, free throw circle, you know, survey the defense after catching it off a trap. Like a team like Cleveland could use a guy like Jay Sean Tate, right? Like Darius Garland is going to get trapped a lot and they could just use a guy like that. Um, I want to shout him out because I really like what I've seen from him. He's been incredible. I think he had like a 32, 10 and eight game against Oklahoma city a couple of weeks ago. If I'm, I think I heard about him doing that and I was just like, what? So I'm glad that we get to catch him. Um, the Eric Gordon angling for a trade thing is so spot on, but he's playing so well. He's shooting 45% from three for the season. <laughs> this is the best he's shot in since Ryan Anderson was there. I want to say <laughs> this was the, like probably before that, maybe since he was in new Orleans, 
I'm going to, I'm going to look up his uh, career three point percentage real quick, but he's playing amazing. He's going to be hell. If the Cavs wanted to get him, he's going to be like a good, like tertiary option for us contender where, or you can, you know, basically do what he was doing in Houston or in Houston. He's still in Houston when James Harden was on the team and just basically operate that way, you know, as a threat off the bounce as a threat off the, you know, dribble like from 30 feet away. Um, he's really good. <laughs> Shangun is one of my favorite players in the league right now. I don't know. You watch, did you watch the, um, you watched the Atlanta game, right? Yeah. He threw a pass in the Atlanta game, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about. That was one of the craziest passes I've ever seen. He's driving, right? He's okay. He's a center. In case you don't know who Alperin Shingun is, he's a center, right? This dude, Nikola Jokic would say this dude is too risky. He takes too many risks. Okay. That's like he was driving towards the basket, and he, like, Kevin Herter comes over on the help side. There's a guy wide open on the opposite side wing. He throws a pass over his head right into the shooter's pocket. Okay. And he's throwing it like if he's driving, you know, on the right hand side of the basket, he throws it with his right hand over his head with perfect arc right into the shooter's hand. What the hell? <laughs> he throws behind the back passes. In dead ball stoppages, he shoots the ball with like out even looking backwards, makes it in to the basket. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, Dylan, <laughs> this guy, if he figures it out, and right now he's averaging 2.7 assists a game in 18 minutes. You average that out to 36 minutes. That's, you know, five assists a game. For a rookie, big man, like, <laughs> why isn't he playing? I know why he's not playing more because Christian Wood is there. But Dylan, I know you love Shangun and his post moves and his weird passes and his basically like and his weird defense. I know you like his game. Oh yeah. I mean I'm I remember draft night. I I think I heard about him probably through you because your your pulse of, of non-American players is just pretty strong. I mean, you'll throw names at me. It's like, okay, I guess I'll I'll keep an eye on him. And uh, I believe you talked about him at one point. And draft night, you know, Mike Schmidt's just an absolute weirdo for the for the Euros and the non-American guys. And he kept talking this guy up because he was, I think he was slipping a little bit in the draft from where he expected him to go. He kept throwing out Jokic comparisons. He was talking about Demonte Sabonis. I'm like, man, this this dude, uh, you know, must have some talent. And I think so far he's proven that Mike Schmitz was was right on it because as far as offensive skill set, he's basically got it all down. I mean, I would love to see him work on his handle because – he gets the ball on the perimeter a lot and just tries to take it in on his own, which I love to see, but he's terrible at dribbling. So he turns it over. So man, if he can get some work on that, he's going to be unstoppable because a lot of these big men nowadays, including Sabonis have gotten their handle to the point where they can, they can take a guy, whether it's a big center, that's kind of slow or, a perimeter defender that they're just bigger than they can just take them to the rim and score easily or make a good pass. 
And I could see Shane Yoon being that type of player too, where when it comes to offense, like you have to guard everything because you don't know what's going to happen. Like you don't know if he's going to pull up in your face, which is probably unlikely, but you never know. I mean, he could cross you up and take you to the rim or he could dish out some insane pass that like even the shooter doesn't know is coming. So he's just a, he's just been a fun guy to watch and having him as a backup center is definitely got to feel pretty good for the Rockets. Yeah. And if they trade Christian Wood at the deadline, which seems very likely given that Christian Wood's on a very friendly salary, um, you could definitely see him playing like 28 minutes a game and averaging like 13 and eight with four assists already. Right. Like he's got incredible touch. Um, I, I just love the way he plays. I love, I like a lot of the guys in this team, right? Like there's something to be said about a team that just has a lot of high flying guys. And I, I have a comparison that I think you'll, you'll love not a comparison, but just like a bit of analysis. Kenyon Martin Jr. Has like pogo sticks in his legs. Like that dude, it feels like he could touch the top of the backboard with like relative ease. I mean, the only guy in the league that like, I feel like compares in terms of hops is maybe like Derek Jones Jr. (laughs) And it just feels like they can kind of jump this. Like it's kind of the same, you know, style, just like athleticism jumping out of the gym. And he's just like really great that way. And just like, (laughs) it feels like every time a shot goes up, he's always there skying in for the putback, you know, jam. He like hardly ever gets it, but it feels like he's flying all over the place. And, um, Christopher is like that too. I love the way Christopher is played. You brought him up earlier. I like that guy has future three and D wing written all over him. He's playing super hard. Right. And I've been texting with Caleb about this and I'll just say what he said. I don't think he'll mind you. He, the reason he wasn't a huge fan of Christopher coming out of Arizona state was because he was a, this really hyped recruit. Right. And you know, he had this really big reputation in high school. He's not playing that way right now. He's playing within his role which for a big, you know, big time recruit, that's hard to do. Right. And we'll see if it can continue. It's only 19 games into his pro career, but I'll be really interested to see if that can continue. Armani Brooks. I feel like every time he shoots it, it goes in. (laughs) It's definitely not true because he's only making 34% of his threes, but that's whatever. Um, You said everything about Garrison Matthews. I don't think I need to add anything else. And I'm I'll be really curious to see what happens when Jalen Green and Kevin Porter get back because I'm gonna check the injury report real quick. Um, Green will be evaluated week by week on that was on December 3rd. So I don't know when he'll be back. And then Kevin Porter's still, you know, listed as out for tonight's game. So I don't know when he'll be back either. And the winning streak came without those two guys. Those two guys are chuckers, right? That's just what they are at this point. And eventually they'll develop into scorers. And I'll be curious to see. I mean, have you caught any Rockets games with Jalen Green at all this year? Um, a little bit like the very beginning of the season, but not much. So we still haven't really seen. I haven't seen a whole lot of him either. And I'll be curious to see, you know, what happens. He's not ready. Right. I think that's like we've seen his body. He's like 165. And that's probably a little generous. Once he grows into his body a little more, like puts on maybe like 10, 15 pounds and just matures more as a player, I think he'll be great. Like he's got a lot of tools, but I I think Dylan, it's safe to say we should withhold judgment on our guy, Jalen Green for right now and just say, 
The Rockets are playing incredible basketball. And if this is the peak of their season, <laughs> the last two years during Rockets week, we got the peak of the season. So don't blame us Rockets fan if the bottom, you know, completely falls out from here. Because if you remember last year, Dylan, when we did the Rockets, they were 10 and 10. And then the ship sank from out underneath them. And I think they won seven games the rest of the year. So don't get mad at us, Rockets fans. But any other Rockets thoughts before we move on to the Memphis Grizzlies? Well, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about John Wall and he's just like, he's just on this team, like kind of just hanging out. They could really use him. Like, I wish they'd let him play because he could make so many of their young guys better. I think he like, honest to God, like, yeah, he's not great, right? Like he's not what John Wall used to be. And, you know, you, I think it'd be healthy for Jalen Green to foster a sense of competition, you know, feeling like he actually won the job than it rather rather than it being given to him. I don't know. It just is kind of dumb that he's not playing because he'd make all the young guys better and then teams would be more likely to trade for him. Yeah, it's just a really weird thing because, I mean, there's probably going to be some team that's like puts the pieces together to, to somehow get John Wall. But I don't know. Like there's just very few terrible contracts in this league that you can use to match up with that. And otherwise, it's like you're going to end up giving away good players for someone that's like good. But is he going to really change your life? Like, it's kind of funny that another Russell Westbrook swap may be like one of the few things that makes sense for a John Wall trade. But it, it's just it doesn't really make sense to me that why he's not playing either. And it, I don't know if he has a choice in this or not, by the way. I don't know if this is something that was agreed upon by both of them, but it kind of sucks that he missed all that time with the injury, came back for a little bit last year, got hurt again, and is now just sitting there healthy. So it, it the whole situation just kind of sucks. It really does. Free John Wall, um, one way or another. He's probably going to get bought out this summer. That's what I've kind of been feeling this whole time. And it sucks because... I love I love John Wall. He's a great player, but I don't really got anything else to add about that. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies, Dylan Hughes, our Memphis Grizzlies are surging right now. 17 and 11, good for fourth in the Western Conference. 111.8 offensive rating, good for sixth. 111.0 defensive rating, good for 21st. And a .8 net rating, good for 14th. Last week, they lost to the Mavericks, 104 to 96. They beat the Lakers, 108 to 95. They beat the Rockets 113 to 106, and then they absolutely curb stomped. I think that's the way I want to say it. The Sixers 126 to 91. And here's the stat that really stands out, Dylan. I brought up the 21st ranked defensive rating <laughs> for the season. The last two weeks, their defensive rating is 97.8, good for a whop- like a whopping first. And coincidentally, that time has been coincidental. <laughs> I'm, I said coincidental like three times there. I apologize. Um, with John Morant missing time. And that's not like <laughs> correlation equals causation here, folks. He's John Morant's a bad defender. And Dylan Brooks also came back at the same time. So a lot of confluence of events leading to the Grizzlies being a great defense. But they're seven and one the last two weeks, obviously surging to be the. Um, to be one of the four seed in the West right now, Dylan. And I think even when Jock comes back, the defense, it might not be the like this elite version of the defense, 
I think this team with Jack could be a top 10 defense. Is that crazy? No. I mean, this this team overall is just so good on defense. And, and yeah, like putting Tyus Jones in the place of Josh definitely going to majorly boost your defense. But, I mean, everyone – you could argue that literally everyone on this roster is good at defense outside of jaw. I mean, even, even Killian Tilly, like is not, you know, a terrible defender. He's actually played a decent role lately. You know, Xavier Tillman, Melton. I mean, all of these guys are good defenders and I mean, having Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks out there at any given time is very dangerous for other teams. You know, Desmond Bain, Steven Adams, like these are, these are names we all know as like defenders and it's, you know, switching gears to their offense a little bit. It's just been really fun to watch them because gosh, it's so weird. Like Jalen green being off the rockets and then all of a sudden winning, like that makes sense. You know, having a, a young chucker off the floor for a few weeks, like, yeah, the other players are probably going to get better. Taking John Morant off your team, like you, there's no way the team gets better, right? Or even stays afloat. But this team is just so like they're they're so cohesive. I think is the word I want to use. Where everything just fits well. They all pass the ball well. They have good shooters. They have good cutters. Everyone is just plays within their role, and and they know what to do. And it's just really fun to watch them. Like, did you watch the 76ers game? I did not put myself through that. I I wanted to watch it because, I, well, first of all, I didn't know that Joel Embiid was out until the game started. But, you know, the Sixers, they kept it close for the first half at least. And there was a Kyle Anderson dunk that was just unbelievable. Dial, Kyle Anderson dunks are the best dunks. Cause it takes him like an hour to get to the rim. Like he did a little crossover and just yammed it. And like Kyle Anderson, I think he's had a few posters in his career. So I guess it's not that shocking, but just watching him get that dunk down was really fun. And I think the very next play he had a three. So the whole place was just going wild. Like we both love Kyle Anderson. So it's not shocking. Uh, that the Grizzlies fans love him too, but watching Kyle Anderson get any NBA crowd like on their feet is, is just amazing to watch. Cause it's so unexpected because his, his game does not suit like hype whatsoever. So, you know, we could go on for hours about him, but this team is just, is just all around great. I mean, the Desmond Bain jump from last year to this year has just been crazy. Like, we were raving so much about Dylan Brooks last year because the jump he made from, like, Dylan Brooks was interesting because I think he only got, like, a $13 million a year extension or something like that, like, which is, you know, obviously for us, it's like, holy shit, $13 million a year. For an NBA player, that's kind of like, like, you're a solid role player, but, like, nothing more than that. And last year, he came on the scene as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And, you know, he's kind of been like an off and on score. But once he got to the playoffs, man, he was just automatic. And he's kind of carried that into this season so far, too, where like he is just turned into 
just a really good all-around player. And I feel like Desmond Bain is kind of becoming that same guy where you have a really good defender and also a guy that can just knock down threes like it's nothing and also other kinds of shots too. So having those two alongside Jaw, along with Jaron Jackson Jr., who I, I have a discussion we can have about Jaron Jackson, but I mean, he's been better than last year. So that's, that's definitely good. And I mean, they're, they're killing it right now and I hope it continues. They are killing it. Um, I'll be curious to see what you say about Jaron because this, I will say this version of Jaron Jackson Jr. is the version I've always wanted to see. Like this is what I envisioned. Like he's blocking two shots a game right now for the season. Um, the shooting, the three point percentage is at 35, but if you like go basically the last 20 games, it's been 39%, right? Like where he was in 20, 1890 or sorry that was his rookie year 2019-20 when he was like an elite shooter he's basically that again he's like the off the dribble stuff is a lot is very impressive he's not a passer right that's if you had to poke one hole in his game he's just not a, a guy who's going to set others up but if you add like a scoring dynamo to a help defense dynamo like isn't that what we thought Chris Asperzingis was going to be like if he's what we thought Chris Esporzingis was going to be, that is something Memphis should be very thrilled about. He like the rim protection is stellar. Um, Steven Adams covers up for like the whole. Really, they've been really the Grizzlies have been really good about bringing in centers who cover up his deficiency and rebounding, right? Like, and Jaron to me is one of those guys like Brooke Lopez, like Robin, Lo- like the Lopez twins. You know, I can't think of others off the top of my head, but guys who aren't like great individual rebounders, but when they're on the floor, the uh, team gets more defensive rebounds because they box out. And that's kind of Jaren's style to me. And I, I just love the way he plays. And I'm curious to see what you're, <laughs> what you're thinking about him because he had a very bad year last year. There's no denying it, but I think he's bouncing back this year. And especially with no jock, he's kind of thriving. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything negative to say. I'll just say that. It's just, and this is maybe my problem, but when you're the fourth overall pick, I guess there's just high expectations attached to that. And I mean, he was a guy that, you know, we all love to watch in college, just kind of like not necessarily a flawless player, but he was a good shooter with a good post game and the tools to be a very, very good defender. And it, so far, I mean, he's had some very good runs. So far, I, I'm i not going to say that he's disappointed, but I feel like the ceiling is coming down for what maybe we expected. Like, I don't, I don't even know what the ceiling was, but, I mean, he was probably expected to be one of the best bigs in the league. And now I'm like, if he's better than Miles Turner, that's awesome. And again, that is not a diss at all. Everyone knows I love Miles Turner. If the Pacers trade him, I will not watch the Pacers anymore. And I'm pretty much not even joking about that. Like if he's the guy they trade, I'm I'm gonna have to take an extended leave of absence. Um so I love Miles Turner. I love that that style of player for a big. And when I watch Jaron Jackson, I kind of think that that's what he is, where his offensive ceiling really depends on how many threes he can hit. 
And if you become a very good knockdown shooter, then that's fine. But I just feel like a lot of Jaron's game revolves around whether he's hot from three or not. And that kind of gets other things going. Now on the defensive side, obviously, you know, there's still all the upside there and just like Miles Turner, he's, you know, going to be one of the better help side defenders in the league for a long time. And that's great. That's someone that's going to start on most NBA teams, but from the offensive side of the ball, I just wonder if he's going to be much more than like a third banana. And I mean, maybe on this team, like, I don't know if he's already been supplanted as like the second banana as far as offense goes. Like he probably has, you could probably make an argument that Dylan Brooks is that guy and maybe even Bain at times. But I feel like your team is best if Jaron Jackson is like your third or fourth best offensive player. But okay, so here's I totally get what you're saying. Here's my counter to that, though. If you can have a guy like Jaron Jackson as your third best offensive player and your best defensive player, isn't that kind of like bringing a lot of its value? You know, isn't like the value kind of like doubles compared to like if he's your second best offensive player, but like your worst defensive player, right? Or like an average defensive player who like he can't block shots, right? Like he doesn't get steals. I would say if Jaron could pass, he's probably a top 75 guy right now. He can't pass. <laughs> like, it's a legitimate problem. He's averaging an assist a game. But his offensive game to me, I totally get where you're coming from, where it feels like the three is, he's like three or nothing. But I I feel like there's more meat on that bone. Like, he has a pretty good post-up game. He brought it right to AD a couple times in that Lakers game. Like, he was bringing it, like, right to his chest, you know, taking it through him, finishing through him. Um, you get a slow guy on him, right? Like, you get, like, let's just say, bad example because he's on his own team, Steven Adams closing out on Jaron Jackson Jr. He's going to take it to the cup, right? Like, he can go through his legs, you know, behind the back, whatever, and get to the rim. And I think that having that element of like, you know, little versatility, right? I think that makes enough difference where he's not just, you know, Miles Turner. And no disrespect to Miles Turner, but Miles can't, like, he's a, I don't want to diss Miles because he's very good at basketball, <laughs> right? But you, I'm sure you saw those quotes from the athletic article. If Miles is as good as Miles thought he was, he's a top 30 player in the NBA right now. And Miles is not that good. Miles is a great shooter. He, you know, he makes the right pass. Miles can, you know, he can hit like a one dribble pull up, right? Like he can, you know, if you give him enough space, he can take it to the rim. But Miles can't create off the dribble the way Jaron can, right? Like Jaron to me has always struck me as a guy who you put him in the like, on a closeout, he can attack the closeout with, you know, the defender sliding their feet really well, right? Like, and still make the layup. That to me has been the difference. That's the difference between Jaron Jackson and Miles Turner because Jaron is, I think he uses the shooting. The shooting is his main weapon, but he has other weapons in his holster, whereas Miles doesn't have a whole lot of other weapons, right? Like, he can use the weapons he's not as good at going to use them as well as Jaron or let alone Chris Stapps. And that's the difference to me, but miles defense is way better than both of their defense. So that kind of cancels that out to me at least. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to compare the two because I definitely think Jaron has a higher ceiling. And I mean, Jaron's floor is probably Miles. Like, I'll say that because as bad as he's, well, as not as bad as he's been, but as bad as he was last year and at times this season, it's like, okay, that's, that's kind of what Miles is offering. And again, if, you're, if your floor is, is around Miles Turner, again, you're a pretty damn good player. And I definitely agree that his shot creation outside of the three is definitely better than Miles Turner. But the problem for me, and maybe this is past bias a little bit, because again, I haven't watched a ton of him so far this year, but I feel like he doesn't maybe take advantage of that skill set as much as he can. And for that reason, he has offensive inconsistency. I think that maybe is where some of the inconsistency comes from because it's like, you know, against Philly, he has 22 points and granted most of that came when they were up by a lot anyway. And I mean, that, that game was kind of a good example for me of what Jaron is at this point, at least where it's like the first half, he just didn't do that much. And that just kind of worries me when we're talking about a fourth overall pick that, we've kind of been talking about as the second best player on a you know, good playoff team for years now. And we were even debating whether he was their best prospect still like last year, at least in the beginning before job broke out. And to just have halves of basketball where you're just like not really involved a ton. It just kind of worries me a little bit. I think it's a difference though, because you know, like play guards can dominate the action. And this is the Anthony Davis problem in New Orleans, right? And obviously, I caveat Anthony Davis in New Orleans <laughs> already has a comp like compared to where they are in this point in their careers, Anthony Davis had accomplished much more than Jaron Jackson had at this time, right? So it's not a fair comparison. But what was the problem in New Orleans, right? Anthony Davis can't bring the ball up himself. And if he can, he's not going to initiate the offense the way you want it to, right? <laughs> And that's not his fault. Big men before, I mean, Jokic is one of one, right? And Bede can't do what Jokic can do. Um, Tim Duncan couldn't do what Giannis can, or Jokic can do, right? Like, there's no big man who could ever do what Jokic has done. So it's not a fair comparison, ever. And they definitely weren't asking them to do that. They definitely weren't asking ADE to do that in high school in the 2000, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. And they weren't definitely weren't asking them to do that at Kentucky, right? It's different. And Jaron's not like going to ever have that skill set because why would he have ever had that skill set? He's always been huge. (laughs) You know what I mean? But the fact that his off the dribble game is where it is. And the fact that his shooting is elite, I think that gives him the edge to me. And yeah, he's going to have halves where he disappears, but that's because he plays with a lot of guys that aren't like real they're not going to force it to Jaron. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of guys on this team that are looking for theirs. Like Dylan Brooks, God love him. That dude loves to shoot more than I love my cats. Right. You know, Desmond Bain isn't like, he's a good ball mover, but he's not going to, you know, he's not playmaking for Jaron Jackson. Right. You know, John Morant is one of the best playmakers in the league for others. I dare. I say he's one of like the three best and you bring up the fourth overall pick thing. It's really not fair because he was picked between the two best players in that draft in Trey Young and Luca, right? 
if he was picked between Bagley and Luca or Bagley and Trey or Aiton and Trey and or Aiton and Luca, Aiton is, you know, Aiden's not as bad of a number one pick in retrospect, but that 2018 draft is loaded. And if he's like the seventh best player from that draft, <laughs> when it's all said and done, it's not going to be as much of a disappointment as like DeAndre Hunter, maybe being the seventh best player from the 2019 draft, or I don't even remember who was the fourth pick in 2020, Pat Williams, right? If Pat Williams is the seventh best player from the 2020 draft, I think we'll all look back and be like, what the hell? Because he's really talented, but I think you had to give him a little bit cushion just for being in that particular draft. And I'll be really curious to see what it's like when Ja gets back, because Jaron's first six games, he was shooting 30% from the field and 27% from three. Since then, it's rounded out to more reasonable numbers of 47 and I think 37 respectively. So in the last 21 games, which seems, you know, obviously much bigger sample, much more like, representative of what he's capable of. And I just think <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah, he's not on that Luca Trey tier. No doubt. He's not on the SGA tier. No doubt. But you could eventually talk me into one day, like him being a little worse than Aiden. I'm not going to say better because Aiden's really fucking good, <laughs> but you could talk me into like, maybe like a little lower, but on the same tier. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not trying to to downplay his talent at all because I still like him as a player a lot. I just kind of, I think, and this is, again, this is probably a me problem of having to kind of manage expectations a little bit where it's like, okay, for a couple of years, we thought this guy, again, was going to be like the next Anthony Davis, maybe. And it's become pretty clear that that's probably not going to happen. I guess you can't really rule it out yet, but... So far, again, it's looking like he's more of a complimentary player than a feature player. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I'm fascinated to see him in this year's playoffs. I think that's going to answer maybe a lot of questions for me and, and some others where, I mean, the Chris Stapps comparison is like an interesting one because the past two years for Chris Stapps in the playoffs have been kind of the complete opposite where two years ago before he got hurt, he was just insane. Like he was impossible to stop. And if he played the rest of that series against the Clippers, they would have easily won, but because he went out, they faltered. And last year he was kind of just out of it. And, you know, he had some good games, but other games he didn't. And by the way, I read the, the whole Rick Carlisle piece and it seems like maybe that, malaise around the team kind of may have impacted him, but I'm kind of just watching Jaron because last year in the playoffs, you know, he, he wasn't very good. And I want to see this year if with other guys around him becoming better, like Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain, I want to see can Jaron Jackson kind of carve out more of a, a feature role where he's like their second best guy, at least sometimes, maybe not every game, but, at least sometimes can he be the second best player or even the best player? Um, or is he going to kind of sink and just kind of contribute uh, whenever the ball comes to him? I think that's a good way to end the Grizzlies conversation because the Grizzlies conversation right now, there's no John Morant. He's playing. He was playing phenomenal basketball. The Grizzlies are still my number one league pass team. I never quit them. Um, 
I still love the way they play basketball. John's averaging 24, seven in six with 1.6 deals on 48, 36, 78 shooting splits. I can't wait till he gets back. He's probably going to be out till January, but that's fine. You know, I want him to be healthy for the playoffs. He's an electric player. One of the best in the league. Um, Kyle Anderson, I'll say real quick. I think he's going to get traded because he's taking a massive roll dip from last year. Last year, he averaged, you know, 27 minutes a game. This year, he's down to 21.6. And that feels high. <laughs> like last year, Kyle Anderson was like one of the most integral parts of their team. And it doesn't help that him and Jaron play the same position. But I still think there's a role like, I don't know. This team is so insistent on playing big ball. And it's worked. I mean, Steven Adams is averaging 3.8 offensive rebounds a game. So, you know, do what you got to do to keep possessions alive. And I'm sure, yeah, right now on basketball reference, they're first in offensive rebound percentage. They're third in the league in total offensive rebounds grabbed. <laughs> like, it's not a surprise, right? This team has built its identity around grabbing offensive rebounds. I just think that I really want to see a lineup with Jaron at the five. And Kyle Anderson at the four, Desmond Bain at the three, Brooks at the two, Jot the one. Like, that's like a legitimate switch everything. You have a switch everything lineup. You have like the perfect NBA lineup. Although I guess the Cavs might be breaking basketball and they might have the perfect NBA lineup soon. You never know. Um, (laughs) I think we got to end our Grizzlies discussion there. Dylan Hughes. um, We got Divine Rhyme. Is that you guys recording that tomorrow? Friday. Friday. What? And that's the top 10 songs from this year, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah, we're, we changed it to 15. Um, we're doing a, a 15 song song draft. We each pick 15 songs from the team or the, the teams we covered, <laughs> the albums we covered this year. That's something we should do. We should uh, pick our, I guess that's what doing all NBA teams is though. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> in a sense so make sure you check that out um make sure you check out lint sanity they're going to be coming out with their week was it 14 already last week was week 14 it's crazy coming down to the wire only three weeks left in the young nfl season um make sure you check out that make sure circle city cinema zach griffith will be up with the podcast about the west side story soon Shout out to him. He is very not happy about it, but he lost in fantasy football. So that's how it goes. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, our teams for next week, in case you need a reminder, because I almost forgot. Um, <laughs> is it the Magic, the Wolves, and the Knicks? God, that is going to be a depressing week of basketball. Um, <laughs> and then after that, hopefully, you know, Paul George will be back and we can have some enlightening stuff on the uh, Western Conference. But Dylan, this is a great episode. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you.